So this morning we're starting a new sermon series on Luke's Gospel, and we'll be sticking with Luke until the middle of February, right up until the point where Jesus calls his first disciples. And I'd really encourage us as a church uh, to read through uh, the Gospel of Luke over the Christmas period into the new year, uh, so that we're learning about this together, we're studying this together. Uh, So what do we know about Luke? Uh, Well, he was a Gentile, which basically means... Uh, that he wasn't Jewish. In fact, he may be the only non-Jewish New Testament author. Uh, He's extremely well-educated. We know that from his style and his use of language. Uh, He's a doctor, and he's been commissioned by a wealthy man of high standing, a man named Theophilus. He's been commissioned uh, to write an accurate account of the events surrounding the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's probably writing around AD 30, so within about 30 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. And it's likely that Theophilus uh, paid for Luke, he funded Luke, uh, to travel around and establish the facts. Uh, So Luke would have travelled to most of the places that were significant in Jesus' life. He would have interviewed all kinds of people, including those closest to Jesus, and that presumably includes Mary, the mother of Jesus, who we've heard about this morning. Uh, So when we look at this account, the birth that Jesus foretold, we need to bear in mind that Luke has done a lot of digging. Uh, As he says at the beginning of the chapter, he says, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Luke is the ancient equivalent of an investigative journalist. And as we work through the Gospel of Luke, it's going to be a little bit like uh, being on a tour bus. In, uh, in London, they have the, uh, the big double-decker, open-topped uh, tour buses. I think you have the same thing uh, here in Brisbane. And uh, last time I was on one, I was uh, with uh, Tissa and her dad. He was uh, visiting from Jamaica. Actually, it was the middle of winter, so he was dressed like an Eskimo. You could see about that much of his face. Um, but anyway, as we travelled around central London... Uh, the guide pointed out all kinds of interesting things uh, about the places, about the buildings and the history. And even though I'd walked or cycled along those same streets many times before, I was discovering something new. And, uh, you know, I'd never discovered the things that the, the guide was pointing out. And it can be a bit like that with the Gospels. We've read them lots of times before, but whenever we go back to them, uh, we always discover new things. But the tour bus analogy breaks down because we're not viewing this story as tourists. We're viewing this story as residents. We inhabit this story because our Christian lives are an extension of it. So let's get started with Luke. Well, after a short introduction, he goes uh, straight into the uh, foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, and then he moves quite quickly to the foretelling of the birth of Jesus. And that's where uh, we're picking it up today. And it's certainly an explosive story. The theologian N.T. Wright uh, points out that there are three things guaranteed to sell newspapers, and that is sex, royalty, and religion. And all of those things are incorporated in this one passage. It's dynamite. So we begin with the angel Gabriel visiting Mary. And the first thing to notice is that Mary is pledged to be married. She's engaged. Uh, But engagement in Mary's culture uh, was much more formal uh, than it is in ours. It was a legally binding agreement 
that could only be broken by divorce. Uh, In fact, this highlights a key difference between our culture and the culture that Jesus was born into. Uh, We have a a horrible phrase that you might have heard. I really don't like it, but there's a a phrase, uh, friends with benefits, uh, which implies a sexual relationship without any sort of commitment or emotional attachment. Well, engagement for Mary and Joseph would have been uh, marriage without benefits. Uh, Engagement was as serious as marriage. Uh, They were fully committed. But Mary would have lived at home with her parents until the day of her wedding, uh, and uh, which probably would have been a year or so later. Uh, The sexual relationship would have come after the wedding, which is very different from what we get generally in our culture, uh, but that's still uh, what we would aim for with our Christian relationships. But is it important that Mary was a virgin when she conceived? Does this matter? Absolutely it does. It's really important. This conception was like no other in the history of the world, uh, which is what we might expect given that God is entering into his own creation. This is a unique, one-off event. You know, some people will say, virgin birth, they might have believed in something like that 2,000 years ago. Uh, but we're so much more advanced now. We're more sophisticated. We've, uh, we've got medical science. We, you know, we, we can't believe in that kind of nonsense. But what are they saying? What are they saying in the first century? They didn't know how babies are made? Of course they did. They knew full well that virgins don't conceive. And Luke, of all people, a doctor, he knew that this was an outrageous claim to make. Nevertheless, he clearly believed that it was true. So what else do we know about Mary? Well, uh, a young Jewish girl in the first century uh, in in Palestine uh, would normally be engaged between the ages of 12 and 14. So Mary would have been extremely young, almost certainly a teenager. Um, She lived in an obscure and insignificant town called Nazareth. And it's likely that she and her husband Joseph were quite poor. We know that because uh, when they take Jesus Uh, to the temple in Jerusalem uh, to be uh, consecrated, to be dedicated to God, uh, their offering, their sacrifice, uh, was two pigeons or maybe two doves. But the correct sacrifice would have been been a lamb. Uh, So you could only sacrifice two doves if you couldn't afford a lamb. If you're too poor to afford a lamb, you could sacrifice the doves. Uh, We see that in Leviticus 12.8. So uh, that's the best indication that we have that Jesus' family were actually quite poor. But isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful that the God of the universe would choose to be born into such a humble family? I mean, it turns all our worldly notions of what's important upside down. Think of the phrase VIP, very important person. I don't know about you, when I hear that phrase, I think of a glamorous celebrity walking up a red carpet at a film premiere. Uh, lots of money, extravagant clothes, um, um, you know, the, the, all, the, all the, the bling and the jewellery. Uh, people jostling to get a glimpse of them. Um, you know, cameras flashing, security team on hand, all that stuff. Let me tell you, God is not impressed by any of that, not at all. But if we're not careful, we get conditioned by our culture uh, to believe that those are the things that constitute greatness. And if we make that category error, 
then those are the things that in our own way we'll begin to pursue. If we're not careful, then our house and our car and our bank balance and our popularity rating become all important. Uh, But if those things were important to God, he would have sent the angel Gabriel to a queen or a princess or something. He didn't. He sent Gabriel to a a poor uh, peasant girl in first century Palestine. Mary had nothing that would have made her highly esteemed in her culture or in ours. She simply said yes to God. She said yes to God. 1 Corinthians 1.27 says this, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And so for us today, it's important that we understand that we don't need to have great credentials to serve God. We don't need to be impressive in the eyes of the world to be useful to God. We don't need a degree or money or fame or a keen intellect. We just need to say yes to God. We just need to say yes to Jesus and he will do remarkable things in and through us. So here's Mary minding her own business when all of a sudden uh, the angel Gabriel shows up uh, and he says, greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. I I, I don't know about you. I can can imagine uh, Luke asking Mary specifically about this. And what was it like when the angel showed up? Uh, And we don't know word for word how Mary described this encounter. But Luke tells us, he reports, he says, uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting uh, this might be. I mean, she probably thought it was a case of mistaken identity. Uh, I was once doing a joint training exercise with the army in, uh, in Canada and I was walking across a base somewhere in the prairies and I saw this uh, W01 walking towards me. Uh, that's a warrant officer class one. It's the uh, most senior uh, non-commissioned rank that you can reach in the army. And as he got close to me, he saluted me. And I was just a Marine. I didn't have a, I didn't have a rank or anything. And uh, I gave it one of those, you know, kind of uh, looking over my shoulder. Uh, um, what, me? Clearly a case of mistaken identity. It happens, but not where God is concerned. Gabriel's definitely got the right person. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, what we have to understand is that the whole of the Old Testament is pointing forwards to the coming of Israel's Messiah. God's people were waiting and hoping for God's anointed one. In fact, the word Messiah means anointed one. And the word Christ is the Greek translation of the same word. So Messiah, anointed one, and Christ all mean the same thing. Uh, So uh, Israel were waiting for their Messiah who would bring peace and unity and freedom to God's people. Uh, But there's a gap of 400 years between the last prophecies of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. God was silent for 400 years. And then uh, all of a sudden he speaks through the angel Gabriel. He speaks to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and he speaks to Jesus Uh, or or rather Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
And those words from the angel Gabriel make it very clear that Jesus is to be the long-awaited Messiah. For a start, the, the name Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua, uh, which means Yahweh saves. Uh, Yahweh, of course, is the Hebrew name for God. So uh, baby Joshua, who we baptized last week, the Greek translation of his name is Jesus, which means the Lord saves. And next, Gabriel tells Mary uh, that Jesus will be the son of the Most High. In other words, the son of God. Then he says, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Well, we know that Jesus was a direct descendant from David because we see in verse 27, it says that God sent uh, Gabriel to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And then later on in Luke's gospel, we get Jesus's genealogy. Uh, so we see clearly that he is descended from King David. And that ties in with Old Testament prophecies. A lot of old, at least 500 uh, te- prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus's birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Uh, and uh, in 2 Samuel 7:16, God says this to King David. He says, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. And Jews in, the, in, in, in first century Palestine, dominated as it was by the Roman Empire, were awaiting the coming Messiah with a heightened level of uh, anticipation, intensity. More than anything, more than anything, they wanted the Messiah to come and, deliver, um, um, and uh, uh, liberate them from the Romans. And it's against that backdrop that Mary is hearing these things from the angel Gabriel. Uh, Mary's a devout Jewish girl who couldn't have failed to understand the implications of what were being said. I'm I'm always bemused uh, that uh, Gabriel says to Mary, uh, do not be afraid, and then proceeds to tell her something that would surely be terrifying to any teenage girl. Not only is she going to be pregnant... She's then got to explain to Joseph that she's his uh, pregnant virgin fiance. Uh, that's not an easy conversation to have. If that goes badly, she risks being stoned. And on top of that, uh, she's going to give birth to Israel's long-awaited Messiah. No pressure. That's quite a lot. Of, that's quite a lot for a teenage girl to take on board, wouldn't you say? I mean, we can hardly blame Mary for asking, "How will this be? How's all this going to happen?" Uh, But I don't think Mary's saying, I don't believe you. She's not asking for proof. She's simply saying, how's this thing going to work? And Gabriel reassures Mary, verse 35, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You know, sometimes that uh, phrase, the Son of God, can be a bit confusing. Interestingly, every time I've shared my faith with Muslims, they have brought up this point. Uh, They said, uh, well, if God has a son, then that must mean he's married, he's got a wife, and together they've had a child, and that's Jesus. And that doesn't, you know, that can't be. Uh, But Jesus is not God's son in that sense. Uh, But it's the best way that we can understand the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. 
Because of, as Christians, we understand uh, God as Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all equally God. They are all persons in their own right. And yet there is only one God. Uh, that's hard to understand. That's not easy for us to get our heads around. Uh, but if God was easy to understand, he wouldn't be God. And we see the Trinity in verse 35. It says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High, that's God the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, that's Jesus. So we've got God the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, uh, in that order, in that one short verse. On top of that, Mary's elderly relative, Elizabeth, is going to give birth in her old age. And the, uh, the angel says, for nothing, nothing is impossible for God. And when we view this story through our contemporary spectacles, whether it's post-enlightenment, post-modern, whatever it is, uh, we need to bear that in mind. Nothing is impossible for God. We, we, we can't find a scientific explanation for everything. Uh, this is God entering into his own creation. We should expect to find something new. We should expect there to be an element of mystery about this. But you know, in human terms, the most remarkable thing about this passage is Mary's response. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary doesn't have any status or wealth or fame or acclaim. It's her attitude of heart, her humility and her obedience that won God's favor. Quite simply, she said yes to God. She said yes to God. So as we move through this season of Advent, and we hear again this story uh, that is both familiar and surprising at the same time, let us say yes to Jesus. Let us be willing to put our lives completely in his hands. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this amazing story at the beginning of the Gospels of how you entered into your own creation, of how uh, the least likely person in the eyes of the world was the person that you went to uh, in order that she could be uh, the mother of Jesus. This is really too wonderful for us to comprehend, but we pray that you help us to grasp it a little better this Christmas and to understand what it means to say yes to you, to give you our whole hearts and our lives and everything that we are. And so, Father, we pray that today you fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we'll leave this church saying yes to you and wanting to share the wonderful news of Christmas. Uh, with our friends and our family and our neighbours. Fire us up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.